Hello everybody, welcome back to Band Trading Cards and in this video I will introduce to you the new card game that is coming out on Kickstarter and this is World Breakers Advent of the Canate. And I also interviewed the creator to answer our questions regarding the Kickstarter and the product itself. Okay, so I would like to introduce to you the creator Ellie David Amir. How are you Ellie? I'm doing great. Thank you for yeah. having me here. Yeah, um, because um, we have a new, this is a new game, right? Yeah, the Kickstarter is going to be on March 1st. So this is as new as they get. That's good. Okay, because I have a couple of questions here that uh, I want to ask you, and this will give um, value to my listeners, viewers. And um, they... Some people are wanting to support a game, but they know they want to know more about the background of the creator, the community, something like that. So I have a couple of questions. So I started playing cards um, with a trading. It's not like a trading card game, but it's like an airplane, like uh, F-14, F-16, some all the airplanes last time, Concorde. And then it has like a stats in it. And when you play, you compare the stats and then whoever is the biggest or the strongest airplane that uh, it will go to the discard pile. And for you, how did you start like playing this kinds of game, like a trading card game? The cursor on my end was first Dungeons and Dragons. And that's when I was six year old, the, uh, the red box was okay. translated to Hebrew. Uh, I'm from Israel. Uh, so the red box with the dragon on top, Mm -hmm. I got it when I was six and I, I was hooked. Um, I played the hell out of that one. And then around the time when I turned 11, Magic the Gathering was imported to Israel. I think it was revised edition. Mm -hmm. So I tend to believe that like many others of my age group, the first exposure to trading card games was Magic the Gathering. That was definitely not the last though. Um, over the years, I collected and played um, Middle Earth, The Wizards, the Star Trek collectible card game, the Star Wars collectible card game, the Game of uh, not Game of Thrones, uh, Wheel of Time, mm -hmm. and um, the uh, Age of Empires, Middle Earth, Babylon Five, Wow, uh, Shadowrun, Vampire, and I'm probably missing some of the small ones. So over the years, I must have dabbled in at least fifteen different card games. Mm -hmm. So do you attend uh, tournaments as well? Certainly. I I was a regular tournament goer uh, when I was playing Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. And then Magic Online was released. And I loved it. I I loved it way too much. At some at one point I spent literally all of my money <laughs> on Magic Online drafts. Mm -hmm. And that's when I quit Magic. <laughs> so um, you you realized you spent a lot. <laughs> Yes. Um, my, um, my then girlfriend, now wife, actually had to cover all of our bills for two months because I had no money. Oh, Ben. <laughs> yes. Um, and then uh, about 10 years ago, Fantasy Flight Game rebooted Netrunner. So Netrunner is a sister game to Magic the Gathering. It was designed by Richard Garfield. Okay. It was released under the same umbrella of Deckmaster. Uh -huh. and they rebooted it in 2012, and I, I loved it. Uh, so I played in Netrunner tournaments. I organized Netrunner tournaments. Um, I organized the New York City. 
I organized the Netrun Originals several times, and I also traveled for tournaments. So in 2014, I won the Canadian National Championship for Netrunner, and wow. over the years, I attended uh, three different Worlds tournaments and a bunch of others. So I am definitely on the competitive side of the, uh, of the spectrum. So you're in the player side. How about collecting cards? So I'm proud to say that um, I actually started selling some of my old Magic cards. And I think I sold about a dozen of them so far mm-hmm. uh, for $2,000, which was nice. Oh, wow. Okay. So nothing huge, but um, yep. a few dual lands and some older cards, Yep. Uh, which was nice. I also sold some Netrunner stuff. So I like collecting, but I also like selling cards because... Mm. Playing a game and making money off it is pretty nice. Um, so uh, I sold some Netrunner cards and I also collected. So for Netrunner, every event had alternate art cards that mm-hmm. were issued for that event. And for a long time, I had all of them. So even wow. those events that I didn't attend, I made sure to hunt down the cards that I was missing. Um, I had a pretty cool Pokemon collection, which is... Mm-hmm probably totally out of date by now uh, because this was back in um, oh my gosh that's the early 2000s or so uh-huh um, that's that's still organized in binders in my parents house back in Israel so um, I had a pretty nice collection of that and uh, for the middle earth card game I had a playset of the first three expansions uh, the wizards dragons, and the third one as well, and a near playset of the rest of the game. So there's there's a lot of these like white boxes tucked around the house with mm. different card games in them. Good labels on it. Wow. Yes. I, I can relate to you that uh, I started like collecting just one card and then I said, okay, I'm going to buy the, the box. And then and now it's a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you will never know uh, that you have... D- um, so many that it, it covers all over your room. <laughs> yes. Um, so I I won't even guess how many different cards I have over the different games. Um, Magic is still probably king with the most of them, mm-hmm. but I probably have somewhere between fifty and eighty thousand cards across the different games. Wow. Yeah. Many okay. many of them are here in the U.S. Some of them are, are still mm-hmm. in my parents' house in Israel. It's also many different games, right? It's not just Magic the Gathering. So um, Babylon 5, for example, I was a huge player of Babylon 5 card game, um, which was pretty cool because the game was designed for multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so out of the box, it was designed for four players. Um, it's based on an old uh, science fiction television show that had four different races, humans yeah. and three others. So in the B5CCG, it's meant for four players and every player plays a different race. And the game is symmetric, but the players, but the races have different strategies. So mm-hmm. the Minbari are all about diplomacy and yep. um, the, um, the uh, Narn are all about like brute force. So that was a great game. And I have, I think a dozen boxes just of that particular game. Mm-hmm. So... Um, playing with these kinds of games, uh, um, when did you start thinking about like, hey, I can make this my own, you know? Um, what what brought you to creating a game like World Breaker? 
I've been dreaming of making a game since I was a kid. Mm. So if I dig through old computers, yeah. I'm going to find more and more spreadsheets. I'm a big spreadsheet person. Um, more and more spreadsheets with prototypes and rules and cards lists and, and so on. Um, so it's always been an idea at the back of my mind. And um, I mentioned I was a big fan of Netrunner. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, Fantasy Flight Game lost the license for Netrunner. So I started working on my own reboot of the game with some uh-huh. ideas I had. Um, but then a group of players actually formed a volunteer committee that is holding the game alive. So yeah. even though Netrunner is not supported by any company, uh, this group of players kept the game going. They're releasing new cards. They're called Nisei. And they're doing a great job at it. So um, I didn't feel the need to reboot Netrunner anymore. They're doing it. They're doing a, a really good job. Mm-hmm. So instead, I started thinking about, let's do something from stretch. Let's, love, let's take the things I love about games, the things I love about Magic and Middle-earth mm-hmm. and Babylon 5 and Netrunner and so on, and design my own game out of them. Oh, so you're pulling all the best that you can get from those games and then create your own inspirations, right? <laughs> yes. A, a friend has accused me when when I was playing the first few prototypes, I was playtesting with a friend mm-hmm. and he accused me of stealing the best mechanic out of every game <laughs> out there. Okay. Um, so it's funny because by now the, uh, the Wallbreakers Discord has about... 150 people yep. and every other day someone comes up and say oh this is like legend of the five rings mm. or this is like doomtown or this is yeah. like ashes reborn like yeah yeah i sort of stole from everyone <laughs> yeah uh it makes sense don't invent the reinvent the wheel you know it's there just get the best of it yeah right so how did you come up with a name world breakers so thematically uh the game the idea for the game came from an anti-hegemonic perspective. The idea was that I want to go to a place where there is no one central power that controls everything. Mm-hmm. And looking at our world for for centuries, that was Europe and it was the Western world in general that was pretty much in control, that dictated world affairs, that uh, that subjugated other people, that traded and so on Um, and I wanted to go back to periods of history where that did not happen yet so it's like Um, decentralized that's a good way to put it yeah it's decentralized Uh, before that's a great way to put it Mm -hmm. and speaking to a friend of mine who's an historian we came up with the 13th century where um, Asia and Eastern Europe all the way to Italy were connected for trade, for the transfer of people. And um, this is the period where we had Marco Polo and other famous uh, explorers. And um, you would look at artifacts from that period and you would see that they had artisans from Persia using gold from Asia and using fabrics from Italy to create some new pieces of art. But there was no central power controlling everyone. So... That was the starting point for the theme. And then the question was, how can we make an alternate history out of it? How can we explain why 
the history of rule breakers did not go the same way that our history did. And this is where the idea of Mythium came to pass. And Mythium is a fantastical substance in the world of rule breakers mm -hmm. and people that use it, um, they find that their abilities are amplified. So the person behind you, if you move a bit to the right, uh, her name is Kutalun. Mm -hmm. And um, she's the one who's yeah. riding the horse right behind you. Yep, thank you. Right there. And um, she's based on a historical figure. Uh, she's a bona fide Mongolian warrior princess. And in the world of Wallbreakers, she's using Mythium to amplify her leadership abilities and uh, unite the Mongol people. Okay. And then we need to find a name for these people that use Mythium. And uh, after some bouncing around and thinking we came up with wall breakers uh one it sounded cool and impactful yeah. um it sounded like they are really moving from our history to their own history um so that was one part of it and another part and this is going to be a bit cynical but google search it looks like nobody has done it yet mm -hmm. <laughs> while a bunch of other common combinations were so it was in this nice intersection where it explains what is going on. Like the history as we know it has been altered by these people. And it's something that is open and we can uh, put it out there as our own, our own invention. Okay. So that means you are putting the world history into a, like, a bit of fantasy, right? Yes. And creating your, your own currency, which, which is uh, Mythium, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. So there will be, I assume that there will be lots of leaders, like, uh, what, what are those leaders uh, aside from, I've seen Kukutlun and then Marco Polo. I just seen two, and what are those other leaders? Yeah, so in the game of Wallbreakers, you have your deck of 30 cards, mm -hmm. and you have your Wallbreaker which is similar to identities or characters in other games where you start with the game with your wallbreaker in play and the wallbreaker has a special ability and not only that the wallbreaker influences your deck building in two ways uh, the first way it provides you with a given resource that is unique to that wallbreaker and mm -hmm. two it gives you access to three specific cards called signature cards that only that wallbreaker could have um, so you pointed out that there's two of them. There's Kutulun and Marco Polo, both of mm -hmm. which are based on historical characters. Uh, the third one is called Ruknadin Kurshach. And for those of you who played Assassin's Creed, the video game, uh, Kurshach was the leader of the Order of Assassins back in the day. And uh, the fourth faction is called the Muhandasat, which is Persian for engineers, and in particular, women engineers. This is a fictional faction. It didn't exist. There's no historical parallels. It's a group of women who are building a utopian society in mm -hmm. the mountains of Persia. So Wallbreaker is going to be released with these four um, Wallbreaker cards. And okay. uh, we already have plans for a bunch more. So as the game expands, there's going to be more and more of them. And when you build your deck, you're going to have that flexibility and you can choose the one that fits your play style the best. Mm -hmm. So so that means the lore itself is the world history, right? And then you will add a little bit of fantasy on that lore. Do you have like a storyline 
on how they had a clash or uh, the law itself. Do you have it? Yeah, certainly. Um, and you pointed out that the starting point is our world's history. Okay. And then we envision how things will change given the presence of Mithium. Mm. Um, and the story follows Kutulun. She's the protagonist. And she is using Mithium to reunite all the Mongol hordes. So in, how, in our history, um, Chinggis Khan passed away and his empire, the Mongol empire, was broken down into four different nations. Mm-hmm. Um, Kutulun is walking in her great-grandparents' footsteps and she's reuniting them again with the goal of finishing the great Khan's conquests. So she wants to get this huge army, march over Europe, finish what Chinggis Khan started. In parallel to that, there's other factions that are in play. Notably, there's Marco Polo. Um, in our history, Marco Polo is a Venetian trader, and he's known for uh, his exploration, for the book he wrote. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, he was a merchant. He went to Asia in order to trade. And um, he wants to get back to Europe. He wants to warn Italy that the Mongol hordes are coming and that they should prepare. Along the way, he picked up some artifacts, which are not exactly his. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that certain people wouldn't trade for what he wanted. So he sort of took it. Um, So on one hand, he wants to go back to Italy and warn them. On the other, he's not pure of heart, so to speak. He's still a merchant. He still wants to make money out of all of this. Um, that's the starting point for the story, and the rest of it is told uh, in two different ways. Um, one of them, there is 16 spotlight cards in the game, and their flavor text, if you read it in order, tells mm-hmm. you what's going on, what's the plot. Oh, and okay. a second way to experience the story, uh, Worldbreakers is going to come with a campaign mode. So in addition to playing this as a two-player game, you could play it as a solo game. The solo game is going to have 10 chapters. And mm-hmm. every chapter is going to progress the story. Oh. So there is going to be a story for the game. And those players that like theme, it's swimming in it. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, I've played um, different um, digital games, which is like StarCraft, WarCraft. They have this campaign game where you go through a series of stories and you you learn how to play the, the game as well. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Nice. And Hearthstone has something similar. Um, every, okay. every once in a while, Hearthstone has an adventure mode where there's this story. In Hearthstone, the story is usually pretty goofy. Mm-hmm. In, in Wallbreakers, is a bit more serious. It's a bit more hardcore alternate history. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the same idea where you go through the campaign, you learn the game, yep. you learn the mechanics. There's this progression where you build your deck during the campaign. So... As you play the campaign, you draft cards the same way you would versus a human opponent. Um, and you learn more about the lore and the theme. Mm-hmm. So now um, you have this existing um, World Breakers. Now you will be expanding in the next five years. And do you have like a, what, uh, do you have in mind like expansion sets of this, like different countries uh, or places that you, could, you will add leaders on it? So can you tell us more about the timeline of that? Yeah, certainly. The game was actually designed um, with double the number of cards that we're going to release in the initial, uh, in the initial uh, release. Mm-hmm. 
um, we decided to cut it in half just to make the Kickstarter campaign more manageable. Uh, but there's already an expansion that's been designed and is now under development. And on top of that, there's two additional expansions that have been designed and are waiting for playtesting. So that's already two years. We're planning on two expansions a year. Um, that's already two years. There's a roadmap for five years that includes some ideas for mechanics, but also mm -hmm. for the story. And the idea is that we're starting in, uh, in Central Western Asia and we're gonna travel West until we get mm, to nice. the Levant and then we're gonna break South into Africa. Um, so that's the idea uh, for the story right now. We also have plans for organized play. The idea is to offer these uh, seasons that will take two months each. And if your local gaming store would like to get involved, mm -hmm. they'll be able to order a kit and that kit is going to have some unique prizes, which are season exclusive. And you can play in the seasonal event, you can win these prizes. Mm -hmm. And also every season is gonna have its own set of rules. So similarly to how some games might have a banned and restrictions list, we're gonna take that a step further and really shake up the metagame every couple of months, present the players with new challenges and then, of course, twice a year, there's going to be new cards that totally shuffle the way you play the game. Okay, so, so you have you you told me in my uh, in the email that this is not a TCG, and it's an LCG. Can you mm -hmm. explain more about the LCG? It's my first time to actually know uh, know the word LCG. Yeah, certainly. So, as I mentioned before, I sort of wasted all of my money on Magic Online. Uh, a few years ago, and I've been careful about collectible card games since. I still love them. Full disclosure, I played Hearthstone, I played Magic Arena, um, I dabbled in Flesh and Blood, so I've been playing many of these different games. Um, for my game, I've chosen a different model, which is called a living card game. Um, that's the name that Fantasy Flight has chosen, so um, I'm thinking of it more as a board game, card game, different ways to think about it. Mm -hmm. The idea is that when you buy the game box, you get all of the cards that you need to play. So there's no booster packs and there is no, um, there is no rares and mythics and so on. If your sole purpose is to play the game, if all you want is the game pieces, you can just buy the box and you're going to have everything. Um, and the game box is going to come with different pre-constructed decks and you can play constructed and you can even draft. So the box is going to come with rules for drafting wall breakers. Then if you do want to collect, there's going to be other, um, other outlets for that. And one notable example are these seasonal events that I mentioned, where there's going to be time-limited um, cards that will be available through your friendly local gaming store. Mm -hmm. And you can okay. go to the store, you can participate in these events, and you're going to get these exclusive cards. Um, that are going to have the same gameplay functionality, but are going to have different arts, are going to have different treatments, and so on. So similarly to how Magic the Gathering um, has, I don't know, Counterspell. Mm -hmm, Counterspell yeah. is an iconic card. You can get it for 15 cents, but there's versions of Counterspell that sell for 50 or 100 or $200, depending on when it was printed and how it was handed out and how you can get it. Uh, that's going to be a similar model. 
If your focus is on the gameplay, you can get all the cards for cheap. If you want to collect, then there's going to be different outlets where you can get these exclusive cards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like um, for the TCG, is we have the theme deck, we have the booster boxes. So it's like this game is like a theme deck because it's ready to play, right? It's, it's there and it's one set, like two, uh, two decks that you can play instantly, right? Yes. And then you're taking away the booster boxes that is random pick of the cards. So you're taking it away and put it in a different packaging or whatever, um, like what you said, LGS promos, something like that, right? Right. And oh. a good example is the Kickstarter campaign itself. The Kickstarter campaign are going to have four exclusive oversized Wallbreaker cards. Oh. So the Wallbreaker cards are typically the same size as a play card. Mm-hmm. But um, the Kickstarter campaign is going to have an oversized version of each one of these wallbreakers. And the only way you can get them is by pledging to the Kickstarter campaign. We have no plans to offer them once the campaign is gone. So okay. these are going to be Kickstarter exclusive. And similarly, we have different plans throughout the game's life. What kind of exclusive cars we can offer that will be available to certain situations, certain events, and so on. And this is where the value can come from because these are going to be limited and exclusive. Okay. So aside from like um, uh, L- being as an LCG, what is the, the uh, what is the, uh, how is World Breaker different from other card games? So a big difference is the game itself. And at this point, I've playtested Wallbreakers with dozens of players mm-hmm. that come from Magic the Gathering, that come from Flesh and Blood, that even, even a handful of players that come from Pokemon. And they all sit down, I explain the rules in about five minutes, super simple rules. And I mentioned that I stole the, I've been accused of stealing the best mechanic. Um, and they all say, oh, I know how to play this. Mm-hmm. And then they start playing and then they get crushed. <laughs> and then they're saying, oh, actually, I have no idea how to play this. Okay. Um, Wallbreakers is designed around a very quick alternation of turns. Mm-hmm. So if you played uh, Legend of Frontera, uh, you might be familiar with the mechanic. Every player takes an action, which is very small, very basic. And then their opponent gets to respond and you go back and forth. So unlike other games where... The, uh, the interactions come from instants like magic, from the ability to interrupt your opponent's turn and say, wait. Mm-hmm. In Wallbreakers, you don't have that option. You cannot interrupt what they're doing. You have to wait for your turn, but your turn is going to be in five seconds. So it always goes back and forth. And that means that timing and sequencing are very important. Mm-hmm. You want to do something. You want to develop your board. But if you develop your board, you're not attacking your opponent's board. So it's a question of, should I focus on my opponent? Should I focus on myself? Um, What is my opponent going to do? Um, And so on. And this leads to a very dense gameplay. So the game is divided into rounds. Every round, you have four actions that you can take. Mm -hmm. Usually during a game, you're going to have around 25 or 30 actions. But most of these actions are going to matter. Um, so gameplay is, gameplay is very tense. 
And it's critical that you read your opponent, that you know, that you guess well what they're going to do, and that you balance this need to be active and proactive. Mm -hmm. Okay. In a while, we're going to show them the uh, tabletop simulator, and we're going to show them uh, the parts of the board, the cards, and how to a little bit of um, gameplay on um, you will show it to us. Okay, so I have another question, which is, um, where do you plan to print the card? Uh, because you're in USA, maybe other TCGs are printing it in somewhere in China, some in Canada, and some in US. Where do you plan to print it? Right now, we're speaking to two uh, manufacturers in China. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one is called Longpack, and the second one is called Panda GM. And both of them are very established board game uh, manufacturers. So this is the kind of project that they print on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. And did you start printing the samples already? Do you have the in your hands now? So I did print prototypes. Mm -hmm. um, actually, this is the fourth batch of prototypes that just oh, arrived in the mail. Go. Uh, today, um, the first two batches were for playtesting and for uh, looking at the design, making sure the design is accessible and that players get how the cards look. And then the third batch was for reviewers, and all of these were shipped. Mm -hmm. So this is the fourth batch of the prototype um, that, uh, that we've printed, and it's going to be shipped to more reviewers tomorrow. So okay. yeah, we did play with the physical cards. Most of the playtesting was done online just because it's much easier to iterate yes. when you go online, but it was really important to do physical playtesting yes. because of questions of accessibility. Uh, there are certain elements like moving tokens around that it's hard to know if they're going to translate well to the physical realm. So we've done a fair amount of real-world playtesting as well. Okay. So so you're doing the playtesting now until um, the Kickstarter, right? Because um, what if you have a something, a card that you need to replace? Do you, do you have, are you planning for a banned cards or reserve list, something like that, like MTG? So first of all, we're going to keep playtesting until the very last second. So ah. even during the campaign, yeah. we're going to keep playtesting. And up until the second, the files are going to be shipped to the manufacturer. We're going to keep playtesting, which is awesome um, for you, the viewer. If you mm -hmm. want to get involved, we have a Discord channel and Wallbreakers is available on Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator for free. Um, and if you go over the change logs, you would see that many of the changes come from players. If you want to impact the game, if you want to influence the game's development, just come to the Discord, play some games, make mm -hmm. your recommendations, and there's a fair chance they're going to end up in the file. Oh. Um, yeah, so we're going to play test until the very last second. And I forgot your question. Yeah, you are you going question? to like? Oh, if, if ever list. if you you print it already, and then there's something a card that is not uh, that imbalances the game. Are you going to go like a reserve list or banned cards list, something like that? 
So I mentioned that we're going to have these seasons where every two months we're going to release how is this competitive season going to look. And some of these changes might involve banning or restricting cards, mm -hmm. but none of these changes are going to be permanent because even if a card is banned in the current season, it's quite possible that in the next season you'll be able to play it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah that's and... Good there might be other changes to the seasons that will not influence card directly, but maybe a particular season, you start with more resources. Maybe a particular season, um, some of the rules of the game change. For example, mm -hmm. the way you draw cards is becoming easier or more difficult. So even if we won't target particular cards, I hope that by shifting the metagame around, shifting the environment in which the cards live, we're going to see an ebb and flow in the power level of particular cards. Mm, okay. That's, that's good that um, you don't have like a Magic the Gathering, they have a reserve list that they said they will never reprint it again, right? Uh, so for you, is um, if ever um, for a certain tournament, that card is banned just for a certain tournament. Okay. That is a good and yeah. um and oh sorry for interrupting ahead. you it's really important for me that those players that just want to play the game mm -hmm. can play the game um in my mind there's there's three stakeholders in collectible card games mm -hmm. there's the players there's the collectors and there's the speculators uh -huh. and wallbakers is heavily biased towards the first two so the players, if you just want to play the game, you can mm -hmm. buy all the game pieces for practically nothing. The box is going to be $30 wow. and you have all the cards you need. And if you're a collector, you're going to have these different opportunities like the Kickstarter campaign mm -hmm. to get these cards that will not be available elsewhere. The speculation piece is missing because there's no booster packs and there is no... Um, making bets on whether a particular card is going to be worth less or more. Yeah. Um, so the speculation piece is non-existent. If you're here for the speculation, Wallbreaker is probably not a game for you. If you're here for playing the game or collecting it, then these are the audiences we're targeting the most. But we still don't know um, because, you know, Magic the Gathering did not start with those speculators. And it's it, it, it went to this collecting uh, category that they they start collecting the first the alpha <laughs> you know we, do, we yeah. still don't know what happens next right yeah that's a great point you know yeah. um, for example I mentioned that some cars will be available for a limited time uh, we're going to print a certain amount of them I hope we're going to print the right amount but it is entirely possible we'll print too little not on purpose just by mistake. Even established companies like Wizards of the Coast um, underprint particular products. Yeah. So, you know, you're right. There's, there's always room for speculation. Yeah, um, that, le that leads to my second question. Uh, my yeah, next go ahead. Question. Because you have now uh, going to have a Kickstarter on March 1. Mm -hmm. And then how do you package the, uh, your, your product and the Kickstarter? What do you mean? Like, what, what are the packaging? Like, is it in a form of the one that you've said that it's a 
it's a box that you can play everything yes or you still have like another box which is for the accessories so please uh tell us more about the packaging on the kickstarter sure so the game is just going to come in a box and that's going to have all the cards and all the components mm -hmm. the campaign is also going to have add-ons so if you want to go beyond the game itself we're going to have accessories and we're going to have two playmates which are going to be yeah. campaign exclusive and um, we're going to have a deck box which is going to be campaign exclusive and we're going to have a card doubler and the card doubler just gives you a second copy of particular cards mm -hmm. so if you want to play a four-player draft you can buy the box and the card doubler and it's going to unlock a four-player draft for you. So uh, there are going to be different accessories that you can choose to get. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you want to speculate on these, by all means, go ahead. Um, <laughs> all of them are going to be campaign exclusive. So we have no plans to offer them outside of the campaign. Nice. And are all cards have letter K on it? Like the Kickstarter green letter K? Uh, the cards themselves are not going to have that. Mm -hmm. But we are going to have additions. And oh, nice. so we're not going to use the actual Kickstarter uh, logo. But at the bottom of the card, where it has the copyright and the yep. artist credits, it's going to say um, AOTK, which is Advent of the Khanate, the name of the first set. And it's going to say it's the Kickstarter edition. Oh, okay. So not the logo, just the, the word Kickstarter. Yeah. So it's going oh. to be indicated that this is the the Kickstarter version of the cards. Mm -hmm. And then I assume it will run uh, for a month, right? March 1. And then yes. when is the release time? That's a great question. Um, we're, uh, we're promising a one-year delivery. Okay. And the game is fully designed. So the rules are done. The mm -hmm. game is playtested. We're going to keep playtesting it, but the playtest changes are tiny right now. Um, Everything is the art is done. So we have all of the illustrations. Uh, okay. They've been already uh, commissioned and delivered by the artists. So everything is done. If this was 2018, I would offer delivery in four months because we just need to ship it off to the printer yeah. and send it across the world. Yep. Sadly, this is not 2018. So I think that the prudent thing to do is to put a one-year delivery promise on it, I truly hope that we can get it to Becker's earlier than that. Okay. The most optimistic projections we have right now are six months, but you know, stuff happens, especially yes. nowadays. Uh, there could be backlogs, there could be new strains of COVID, there can yeah. be a million and one things. So we took that buffer. Okay. So again, the official promise is one year delivery. I truly hope we can deliver it beforehand. And either way, the full game is available online. So you yeah. can play it while you wait. Okay, that's good. So if if ever there's like an early, if they can make it earlier, so you can deliver it earlier, right? Yeah. Um, as soon as the campaign is done, as soon as Kickstarter transfers the funds to us, we're going to ship everything to the printer and start printing. Yeah. From that moment on, it's... It's all up to powers that are outside of our control, like uh, freights and shipping and ports, unloading uh, mm -hmm. ships, 
moving them to trains, the trains need to get to their shipping centers, fulfillment centers, and so on. And on my end, I'm doing everything in my power to de-risk this as much as possible. So when you go to other campaigns, the campaign is done, and then the creators are saying, okay, we're going to start playtesting, or mm. we now have the money, we're going to commission the art. Uh, we're not going to do all that because it's already done. The game is done, the art is done, the box is done, the design is done, everything is done. We just need to finish the campaign, print, and fulfill. So this funding is mainly on the printing side, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, the funding from the Kickstarter is meant to cover the physical printing of the game. Yeah. And okay. training it and shipping it. But yes. All right. I'm going to put the, the link of the Kickstarter here if you have already at um, so that they can follow it. Okay. And then, yeah, so. um, yeah. And then after the Kickstarter, what is the next expansion set? Can you tell us the, like, the name of the next expansion, um, expansion set? Yeah. Yeah. So the next expansion is going to be called the Canate Eternal. Um, so this one is Advent of the Canate. The next one is the Canate Eternal, Eternal because the Canate is coming. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to keep following um, Kutulun as she's reuniting the Mongol hordes and starting to move west towards Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be two other threads to the story that are going to tell you more about Mythium and about its effect on mm-hmm. people that use it, which I hope is going to be quite interesting. Um, the first expansion is also going to introduce a whole new guild so Worldbreakers has four different guilds, which are similar to the colors in Magic the Gathering or Pokemon. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, so the first expansion is going to introduce the fifth one. And it's also going to introduce a whole new set of Worldbreakers. So it's going to more than double the Worldbreakers that are available to players. Okay. Speaking so there's of the... quite a few plans in the cards. Go, yeah, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Speaking of the guilds, can you, can you put a card from Marco Polo's guild to your to Kokotlun? Yeah, certainly. Oh, so, so you can mix? Oh, nice. Okay. So the game has two different types of resources. Um, one of them is called Mythium, and it's the game's currency. Every card has a particular Mythium cost. Mm-hmm. The second resource is called Standing, and that signifies the clout that you have with the different guilds. And Standing, it's a bit like a leveling mechanism. Mm-hmm. When you gain Standing with a particular guild, it unlocks all the cards of that guild, but you don't spend the standing to play the card. So one way to think about it is that, let's say you're playing Magic the Gathering and you play a mountain, now you can play any red card you want without wasting that mountain. Um, So it's similar in Worldbreakers in that regard. And even though Kutulun starts with the Earth Guild and with Earth Standing, over the game, she can gain standing with other guilds. Mm-hmm. So if you want your deck to have two mm-hmm. or three different guilds, you can definitely do that. Then it's up to you as the deck builder to start playing and optimizing and finding the right mix of cards and the right mix of resources. So okay. the resource system is definitely there for you to experiment with. It's not as rigid as some other games like Pokemon. Um, you can play any card you want. It's just about shuffling your standing in a way that gives you the resources you need. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, the standing is 
unlocking for the the cards that have those requirement so you can play play it exactly. right but you don't have to pay for that card right yes yeah. that's correct okay. you still pay the mythium the mythium yes. the mythium is like a joker resource but once you unlock the card with the standing requirement, you do not spend the standing. It's you like a level it. up of your whole clan or of your yes. whole guild. Oh, I got it now. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. So, and in playtesting, mm -hmm. I would say, so when the game ships, you're going to have, it by default, you're going to have four pre-constructed decks. Mm -hmm. Each of these pre-cons is going to be one, just one guild. And when we playtest draft, and when we play test constructed, it's quite clear that going with just one guild is probably not going to cut it. Uh, you want to have at least two guilds in your deck, mm. and you want to see how you mix the cards from these guilds. Yeah. Are they equal in count, or do you have a primary guild or a secondary guild? And maybe you want a couple of cards from a third guild that it's going to be a bit more difficult for you to play them because you're going to spend your standing on other stuff. But yeah, there's there is some interesting decisions to be made even as early as deck construction. And then when you play the game, uh, there's a lot of questions around resource management that you need to address. Okay. So, um, so with regards to another, um, after the Kickstarter, I am just looking at the timeline here because after the Kickstarter, you have the next expansion set, which is the Eternal. And then do you plan to have like a tournament for TTS? That is a great question. I didn't actually think about that. Yeah, to keep the, a community going, you know, while waiting for your ex uh, release. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look into the details and I think that we're going to we're going to execute on that. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the cool things is we can we can start offering rewards. Yeah. Um, even for any virtual tournament that we do. And that's part of the plan. And looking at, um, I mentioned Netrunner, I mentioned Nisei, this player-run organization, and they've been running their world championship um, online. So when the game was still in print by the mother company, by Fantasy yeah. Flight, the world championship was in the US. And you would go there and you would have players from Europe, you would have players from the UK, you would have players from Australia, but they would be the minority. Most mm. of the players were Americans, um, not even that many Canadians. And um, one of the cool things about running a virtual tournament is that suddenly you have representation from these places that typically don't send their players to the US. Yeah. It's just Correct. expensive and time consuming. And we can offer rewards for these tournaments as well. So if we have a tournament-specific card that mm -hmm. we offer as a reward, shipping two or three cards to Australia is not a big deal. Mm. But if the person who wins the tournament is from New Zealand or from Africa, from South Africa, let's say, we can send them their rewards. That's a great idea. I Yeah, yeah. I'm going to follow up on that. And yeah. when the campaign is done, uh, I think we're going to have some virtual events to celebrate the, uh, the completion of the campaign. Thank you yes. for that. Yeah, and you have the price right there in your your box right beside you. The price. Oh, you think so? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, collectors are you know they like sample cards. Right now, mm -hmm. I, trading card games. Man, if you have the first ever uh, cards 
that is the coolest that you can get. So yeah, I've the, actually been keeping these things for myself. Yeah. But you know, if one of these days players want them, I'm just gonna sell them and give the money to charity or something because yeah. that would be make, awesome. Make it a look at the price of the tournament. Yeah, that will be. That's cool. a great idea. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to the um, to the organization. So your organization structure right now is um, you, and do you have any other uh, under your umbrella? Yeah, so I'm the only person working on Wallbreakers full-time. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been full-time on the game for almost a year now. This is all I've been doing. But there's a huge team involved. Um, there's 14 different artists that have been um, drawing the illustrations. And um, three of them, um, Agustin Castro in, um, oh my gosh, in Argentina, mm -hmm. Emilio Rodriguez in Spain, and uh, Chinzo Chinzo in Mongolia, they've drawn about three quarters of the art. And the rest of the art comes from 11 other artists, which are all over the world. Um, we have a graphics designer who is US-based. Um, he's a game developer himself, and he's been working on the car designs, the box mm -hmm. design, and so on. Uh, we have Jenny Perconti, who is our rules manager. Uh, they're based in Boston, and they've been the rules manager for Netrunner. Uh, for quite a while now. So uh, Jamie is brilliant when it comes to building rules and making them accessible. And uh, we also have a big team of cultural advisors. So we have three different advisors for the Mongolian culture. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is Bella Baira, who is a former Miss World Mongolia and a cultural representative from Mongolia for several years now. Um, another one, his name is Batbileg. He's a professor of costume design in State University of Ulaanbaatar. So he's a Mongolian artist who has been mm -hmm. reproducing traditional means for creating costumes. And he's been involved with the graphics design of the Mongol people. Um, we, had, uh, we had an advisor and representation of, uh, of Indian people. Uh, there is a particular martial artist called Kalari Payet. Mm -hmm. which is in wall breakers and we had an advisor for that uh, we had an advisor for representation of trans people we had an advisor for representation of people with disabilities um, so many different people that contributed to these aspects of the game and making sure that we're as accurate and as constructive as possible when portraying these people mm -hmm. and i must we had a bunch of playtesters a whole bunch of playtesters that were involved and I'm definitely, I, I must be forgetting someone. Um, oh, we had, uh, we had Mike, who's been an animator. So the uh, cinematic trailer is going to mm -hmm. come out in two weeks. Wow. And, nice. um, and Mike has been taking all the different card illustrations and building them into a cinematic trailer that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna reveal in mid-February. Okay. So yeah, there's been quite a team involved with the different aspects of bringing this game to life okay nice so please give me a copy also for the video so i can show the cinematic <laughs> cinematic oh, yeah. cards yeah so i would love that um and then um so that means i can see that this game is uh, scalable up to different centuries like now it's 13th century and i've played a lot of civilization do you know civilization yeah it's a digital game uh where each 
there's like stages of civilization until you go to the advanced technology. So I think, um, do you do you plan on like advancing to a different centuries? That's a good question. And mm -hmm. we do have, I have a plan for the initial storyline and that's already several years of, uh, of expansions. Mm -hmm. And I think that over the, as, over the game's life, a big part is going to be gathering feedback from players. And I'm really curious on where the players will want the story to go. Uh. Because ostensibly, we have several options. One of them is we can keep the same storyline and we can just keep going. Let's say every expansion is going to be 10, 20, 30 years yep. of story time. And that's how we're going to develop. Um, we could have time jumps. Let's say we have a story for 50 game years mm -hmm. and then we jump 100 years into the future. And now yeah. it's the Renaissance, but the Renaissance had 150 years of Wallbreaker history. And a third option is just to go somewhere else. Let's right. say that we tell the story of the Mongol people in Kutulun and what they're going to do. And now let's say there's a clean slate and mm -hmm we're gonna start the alternate history from 18th century Africa, or yeah. we're gonna start the alternate history from, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, 200 BC Rome. Uh, so I think the story can, once we go past that initial timeline, yeah. can jump in different ways. And I want the players to have an impact there, so. We're going to see what the players think. We're going to see where the fan faction goes. Um, and and based on that, we're going to make the decision. Yeah, that's good. So we're going to take feedbacks from the players. Okay, so with regards to the distribution of your products. So we have we have the common one is distribu distributors, goes to LGS, in the retailers. So will you be in this kind of model? Yeah, right now the emphasis is on the Kickstarter campaign mm -hmm. and that's going to be direct to consumer. Yeah. And um, once the campaign is done and the game is printed, then we're going to do our best to stay direct to consumer as possible. But in my mind, the way to secure the longevity of the game is through the community. And mm -hmm. yep. I think that there is a limit to how far the online community of the physical game can go. Even with online play and all that, at the end of the game, it's a box. It exists outside of the internet. Mm -hmm. And to build community, you have to work with local game stores. Um, that's where people hear their news. That's where players congregate. And that's the channel through which we plan to distribute these seasonal prizes that mm -hmm. are going to become ideally are going to become these like these like crown jewels for um for collectors and players alike so i'm in early discussions with distributors uh both in the us and europe mm -hmm. to see how we can get the game box out there into game stores um to be candid it's less of a priority because the focus right now is really on the kickstarter yeah and getting the funding for that initial print run but yeah. I do plan wall breakers and the expansions to be available through game stores. And um, 
hopefully I'm going to have more concrete idea of how that's going to look in a few months. Okay, sounds good. Um, speaking of, you said LGS, get, uh, you get news from the LGS when you go there, you know. Um, we Now in this in this century, we have content creators. Mm-hmm. So content creators are are helping um, sharing all the, the information to to the subscribers to everyone in online. So would it be possible for a content creator to become a retailer of your product? That's a really interesting idea, and I think it's worth exploring. I didn't think about it until now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are referral programs, right, where let's say you're selling a particular product through Amazon, yes. you could provide a content creator with a, um, with a code and anyone who buys the product using their code is gonna give them some, um, some percent of the, uh, of the sale. Correct. I like the idea of making content creators distributors themselves in a way. I think that's really cool. In general, one of the big things I've been doing with Wallbreakers is to approach as many content creators as possible. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, no content creator is too small or too big. If if you're spending some of your time to yes. put a video out there, then I think that's magnificent. And, you know, I've been on, on, on Twitch streams for creators that have 20, 30 subscribers. Mm-hmm. I don't care. This person sits there, you know, two, three times a week putting themselves out there in front of 20, 30 subscribers, that's, it's a lot of effort and it's a lot of like time and money that, you know, they could have watched Netflix instead and yet they do it. So I've been, I've been trying to reach every possible content creator out there and many of them are busy. Many of them are not interested or they have other, other stuff on their plates and that's fantastic. I'm glad that they're busy, but many others are excited. I mean, you're a Mm -hmm. good example this is a new product. I think we have a shared interest that the market is going to be as heterogeneous as possible and that players have a choice on how they want to spend their time, how they want to spend their money. Yes. So, yeah. oh, go ahead. For content creators, yeah, you said no small content creators, but um, we don't know that this small creator will have a viral video, will go big someday you know you don't know right and um as long as the content creator is giving his um like uh con how you call it um periodic um release of his contents and he's really um serious on getting the word out there and that's fine right because some content creators are they they make their own um, a little bit of content and then they call them themselves YouTubers and then they stop. So so um, the good thing to see here is that you focus on a content creator that is really serious on his craft and consistent on his um, video creating. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I see this, and then. Um, if you know dropshipping, you know dropshipping, right? I'm not. I don't. Okay. Dropshipping. Dropshipping is there's a manufacturer or a supplier, then I'm the one doing the marketing. And uh-huh. if I will create a page, whatever I want to do is, and then get some customers, then if they order from me, it will go 
directly ordered to you and you will be shipping to direct to the customer. Got it. So I know it is white labeling, but yes. Yeah, they call it as well as drop shipping. And the mm -hmm. label there is from the... From you, yeah. From me, not from the manufacturer. So that's how they do it nowadays. Uh, it's been that's here great, for, yeah. since 2010. Yeah, I'm going to look into that. That's really interesting. Yeah, just an idea for you. Um, yeah. Another and, thing uh, I wanted to mention. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. About content creators. You've been releasing, I think, a video a day. Or, yes. I mean, between or the stream more. and the YouTube. Yeah. yeah. And about a month ago, I decided to do an experiment. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I totally randomly... I remember this old video game from the 90s called Skyroads and it's a really it's a nice, like it's a really basic you you drive a car and you need to jump and escape from like different environmental hazards pretty straightforward game and I decided that every day I'm going to play one level of Skyroads and put the video on YouTube and Twitter mm -hmm. and to put things in perspective a level of Skyroads takes between 30 and 60 seconds, okay? And then editing the video and editing a splash screen and creating a tweet, that's another, I don't know, three, four, five minutes? So the whole thing is five minutes a day. I got it for 18 days, and I just couldn't continue. I just, I couldn't find the five minutes to mm -hmm. do it. Um, and I think people, I think viewers... And companies underestimate the amount of effort required to be consistent as a content creator. Yes. Because I couldn't find five minutes after 18 days. And people like you are putting out like 15, 20, 30 minute videos every day. And yes. I find that I think it's amazing. I mean, that's why that's that's part of my reasoning for reaching out to literally every content creator I can. I mm -hmm. At, at one point, I just went to YouTube, I typed card games into the search box, and I reached out to every person that had that kind of consistency, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, they, if they release three, four videos a week, then I don't care how many viewers they have. I don't care how many subscribers they have. In my mind, these are professionals who are putting themselves out there, and they're awesome, and they deserve my attention. Yes, uh, but being a content creator, you're going to be a producer, a director, yeah. uh, an editor. So an everything, editor. everything is, yes. you needed some skills to do that. Um, I've, for me, I've been in the social um, media for since 2009. I've been blogging. Uh, last time I was blogging every day. So that's my thing. Like, I focus on one thing. If... If I want to improve myself, because you know my English is not good in writing last time, so now it's uh, getting better because of the the everyday blogging. Then after that, I did a podcast every day, which is um, I did a podcast for a year, I think. Until now, I have a podcast, but it's not every day anymore because podcasting is for my speaking to improve my the way I speak like English, because I can't barely speak a sentence with a like this hold straight um, and then I decided to show myself and speak in front of the camera and then I did it every day and for content creators not just making a, a video or whatever you have to make a video that you are passionate about because you cannot sustain it 
it's it's easy to burn out but for me i love cards what i i really love cards since high school so i was in love with magic the gathering but i don't have money to buy it um i don't even have a money to buy my food they, my 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 sister gives me like a pack lunch for lunch and then I, th that's it <laughs> so that is my my way of uh giving back to to myself so that, that's why i love cards i collect them when i have now i have money to buy then it's my passion that's why i can do it every day because sharing it to other people like like if you have um what's your favorite what's your favorite um something uh, an item that you want to show to your mom your dad your friends what what, what do you think um this pen is a good example i got it a few yeah. months ago i've been wearing it ever since so okay if i will ask you create a content about your about your pin would you love that to do would you love to do after this interview oh yeah certainly see i can tell you can, where i found you, it I yeah can tell about the artist uh they have different like other types of pens that i want to buy yeah i can talk about it for a couple of hours probably yeah that's the same thing as uh, me uh sharing cards when i ever there's a mail coming <laughs> i have to show it it's you know feel happy mm -hmm. so for the content creators uh some other um manufacturers or or product designers creators they underestimate the creators because they don't know how difficult it is to create for me every day i'm doing it every day so i spend four hours so production uh actually the whole day because in the morning i have to think and go to discord getting some information from the discord community and after that i will think about what's the co content that i will be making and then starting setting up my things and then after that i will have um you know recording and then after that editing so it's around four hours a day but i love it so <laughs> that's why i would like to ask you content create uh not the the card creators if you are willing to make us a retailer for the product so that of course um we love our passion but we need to sustain it right we need to buy devices we need money to to make uh to sustain our our creation uh, creations so that's why i was asking you if you can consider that if yeah that's a great idea. And mm -hmm. the fulfillment center doesn't care. I mean, the fulfillment center, they print a sticker, they put it in the box and they ship mm -hmm. it. Yeah. The sticker can be whatever, right? It's all computerized. Yes. So um, I know the process is white labeling. I didn't think about white labeling with content creators. That's a really, let me look into the logistics of that. I really like it as an idea. And one more um, thing, you can also add like for me, if you like Ben Trading Cards card, like a promo card with a Ben Trading Cards logo there, just a very small one or or mm -hmm. just the text box with a watermark with my logo. And this will be only exclusive for those bought from this content creator. That would be really cool, right? Let me write that down. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just my suggestions because, you know, um, uh, Content, uh, the crowd creators right now are focusing on the local gaming stores, which are 
um, which is good because community is going there. But a content creator has his own community and we can make our own Discord channel, uh, server, and we can we can gather people there and, you know, we can offer other oh, yeah. products as well. And I don't think that, I, I think that these different, uh, oh, sorry. I think that these different channels, I think many of them are separate from each other. I think that those people that go to the local gaming store and buy their games there might not be the same people that listen to your channel or yeah. any other channel for, for that matter. I think that it's different audiences and they have different personalities and they want different things. So it's not like I'm threatening the local gaming store by selling through other channels. I think the Kickstarter itself is a great example of that. Most of the people that buy the store don't buy Kickstarter products. And mm -hmm. in fact, when I started doing research about Kickstarter, one of the things that came out is that there is a particular type of people that buy and pledge to Kickstarter campaigns. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to look into that. That's a really interesting idea, and I would love to pursue that. Yeah. Okay. Because content creators are just new in this century. Um, we've been in the LGS since I was young. I was maybe I was just, wasn't born yet. LGS is there already, but we know we are going to advance technology, and communities are easily uh, you can easily gather a community like Discord. You know, Discord is just probably three years old or something, right? So we have to adapt to that, and um, we are not a threat on the. I, what I believe is that we are not a threat on the LGS. Because LGS has its own community. There are people who love to go there just to drink their home-brewed coffee. You know? Something like that and to see their friends or something. Yeah, yeah I agree for, with you. Yeah, for, other, for the creators, they also want to, to see the creator because of his personality. Like the way I, for me, maybe some followers, they like how the way I speak, the way I smile, something like that, right? Like TikTok. You just swipe and then you stop at a certain creator that is you know that is charming and you like how he's simple something like that right and oh, even though it, they're using the same music on the tiktok but there's one creator that you like right so it's similar we are not a threat of any other stores here we are not a threat of walmart we are not a threat of lgs we have our own community so that's that's what uh, I want some creators to consider. That's a great idea. I'll think about it and yeah. I'll see what's the logistics behind it. Yeah. Okay. So now you have, uh, speaking of the community, you have Discord, which is 134 members so that I've seen right now. And um, aside from Discord, what are other communities you have? So um, before I forget, I'll remind the viewers that uh, the campaign is coming on March 1st. And if you want to be reminded on the campaign launch, mm -hmm. and if you want to keep getting updates, so I keep sending new art, I keep sending news about the game, uh, you can subscribe to the mailing list. So I'll give you the links uh, for the mailing list okay. and for the Kickstarter campaign. Um, the biggest community we have right now is on Discord. It's mm -hmm. working very well for us. Um, lots of players looking for games, talking about the game. Uh, balancing uh, discussions, a lot of balancing discussions. Um, there's also a smaller Twitter community. 
So if you're on Twitter, you can join us there. But really, the Discord is where, where it's at, especially if you want to get involved with the game, if you want to influence the design. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have this window of two months before the campaign ends. And again, we're still playtesting. So if you want to make an impact, just join the Discord and come play some games. Mm-hmm. How about Instagram, TikTok, Facebook groups? Do you have those? Uh, we don't have those. We focused okay. on mostly on Discord. That and seems Twitter. to be the... And Twitter. Discord seems to be the community of the day, at least in, in gaming circles. All right. So um, maybe we can take another video so, so that you can show us a little bit, a very short description on the cards and how to play it. Okay? So we're going to change uh, our view right now. Yeah. So welcome to Wallbreakers. And this is the same module you can play on Tabletop Simulator right now. There's also a module on Tabletopia, which is entirely free, no installation needed. It's all web-based. And what we're seeing here are, first of all, the Wallbreaker cards I mentioned. So for example, this is the Kutalun Wallbreaker card, and she belongs to the Earth Guild. So when you start the game, you're going to get an Earth uh, standing, and she gives you a special ability. Whenever you attack, one of your followers gains a strength bonus. And the purpose of the game is to be the first to reach 10 power. So we have these power tokens, and the first player to get uh, 10 of them wins the game. There's two ways to gain power. The first one is by playing location cards. And these cards are in your deck. You're going to draw them. You're going to play them. And they have these different stages. So Solomon's Throne has three stages, one, two, and three. During the game, you can trigger them to gain their ability. In this case, you're going to gain two power, two power, and one power. The second way to gain power is by playing followers. So your deck is going to have different followers in it. I'm just going to play two of them as an example. And over the game, you're going to play these followers, and you can use them to attack your opponent. Every follower that goes through is going to net you one power. So in a way, there's two different paths to victory. You can either build locations and develop them, or you can play followers and attack your opponent. I mentioned before that there's two types of resources. Uh, the first one is called Mythium, and is these crystals that you can see over here. You start the game with five Mythium, and this is the game's currency. So every card is going to have a Mythium cost in the top left. For example, the Lowly Bard costs two Mythium. Then there is Standing, which is represented by the board over here. There's four different guilds, and you're going to start with one standing in one of these guilds. So Kutalon starts with an Earth standing. Marco Polo starts with a Stars standing. And cards are going to have a standing requirement in the top left. So for example, Caleria Depth requires one Earth standing. That's the icon in the top left. While um, the Compassionate Ascetic, she requires two Earth standing. Again, the same icons in the top left. And the 10,000 Ride, they require three standing. So these are the resources. And let's talk about gameplay. So the game is organized into rounds. And every round, 
you can take uh, four actions, but you're going to alternate. So in this example, Marco Polo takes an action, then it's your turn, you take an action, then it's Marco Polo again, until we take four actions. During an action, uh, during a turn, you can take one action and you can see the different actions you can take on this card over here, this reminder card. So for example, you can gain one Mythium, you can draw a card, you can gain a standing, and you can play cards from your hand. And all of these, they're gonna take all of your turn. So if you choose to take one Mythium, that's it, you're done. Marco Polo can do his thing now. Uh, there's three different types of cards in your deck. And one type of card are events. These are one-time effects. You play them, you resolve them, you're done. So a gratuitous gift, for example, allows you to play a follower card with a discount. The second type of cards are followers. So here is an example. The Earth Guild Executor is, um, is one type of, is one follower. Um, he costs two Mythium to play, and he has two strength and two health. These are the icons at the bottom of the card. They come into play during combat. The third type of card are the locations I mentioned before. And when you play them, you put them on your board and you load them up with stage counters, one for each one of the stages. So the Humble Underpass has two different stages and you load it up with two counters when you play it. After you play a location, it doesn't do anything. It just sits there until you take the develop action. And when you do, you remove the top counter and you resolve the ability. So the humble underpass, the top ability is you gain two Mythium and you gain one power. And then you're done, your opponent can do whatever they want. When it's back to your turn, you can develop the location again and gain the next ability. And the last type of action is to attack your opponent. The way attacking works, and let me put some followers up here to make the story a bit more interesting. So uh, let's say that we have these followers and that Marco Polo has these two followers. So the way attacking works, first of all, let's say it's my turn and I want to attack. I'm gonna take my attacking followers, I'm going to exhaust them and move them forward. Now the defending player can choose how they want to block and they do it one at a time. So for example, let's say the Moth Keeper wants to block the emboldened soldier. Marco Polo is going to exhaust her and put her in front of the soldier. Now, these two followers are gonna deal wounds to each other equal to their strength. So the soldier is gonna deal one wound to the Moth Keeper and the Moth Keeper is gonna deal one wound to the soldier. And now these two followers move back. They're done. They're not part of combat anymore. So remember, you block one at a time, you block an attacker once, and that attacker is done. It's not in combat anymore. You can't block it again. Here's another example. Let's say the caravan guard wants to block the Earth Guild Executor. So they're gonna deal two wounds to each other. And now if a follower has at least as many wounds as health, they're defeated. They go to the discard pile. So the Earth Guild Executor has two wounds, which means that I'm going to send them to the discard pile. The caravan guard are still around and they move back. 
Now, the defender can keep blocking as long as they want, as long as they have followers to block with. If there are any attacking followers left, then combat is successful. And in that case, the attacker is going to gain one power for every follower that got through. So in this case, I gain one power. If two followers got through, I'm going to gain two power. On top of that, if combat is successful, I get to damage one of my opponent's locations. So let's say that Marco Polo is the one to have a location in play. And I'm going to load it up. If combat is successful, I can damage this location and remove the top stage counter. So Polo is effectively losing this top ability. They cannot use this card to gain two Mythium in one power. That is gone. And that is how combat is resolved. So we're going to keep taking our turns one at a time. When we're done, there's going to be a rally phase. And during the rally phase, a few things happen. First of all, we check for victory. So at this stage, if a player has at least 10 power and more power than the other player, they win the game. If there's a tie, the game is not over. We're going to keep playing. And notice that victory is only checked in this step. So if Marco Polo reaches 10 power here, or if Kutulun reaches 10 power here, the game is not over. The other player could still catch up. After checking for victory, we're going to ready our followers. We're going to gain two Mythium. And we're going to draw a card. So similarly to how um, we have an untap phase in Magic the Gathering and other games, here we're going to have the rally phase where we're going to ready our followers and we're going to get some free stuff, uh, free Mythium and a card. And finally, last but not least, we're going to flip the round tracker. So the player that was first before is now second, and the player that was second is now first. So the turn order has been flipped, and we're going to keep going. And that's the game, uh, pretty much. You're going to have your four turns. You're going to take one of these actions every time. You're going to play followers and locations and attack your opponent. And the first player to get 10 power wins the game. OK, so I have a question about the standing. Um, you said um, there's an like, Earth standing, star, uh, was that moon, and wind, right? And void. And, uh, void, oh, sorry. And then you can see the followers have their own standing on its left side. Uh, you can see on the board, there's one follower there that has like the earth sign, that one. So can you use that to for uh, Marco Polo? Because Marco Polo is a star. Right. So one of the actions you can take is to pay two Mythium and gain a standing. Um, and that standing can be of any guild. So if it's Marco's Polo's turn, he can choose to spend two Mythium and gain an Earth standing. And now, if Polo has the Eagle Huntress in his hand, on his next turn, he can pay two Mythium and play the Eagle Huntress. Because now he has the standing which is required. So there's no limit to how many colors you can have in your deck. If you want, you can keep paying two Mythium and unlock standing with each and every one of the other guilds. It's all up to you. Um, so 
you are um, encouraged to play a particular guild because your uh, your role breaker gives you a standing mm-hmm. with that guild. But branching into other colors is pretty straightforward. All you need is one standing with that guild, and you can play all of their one standing cards. Um, so if all you want, for example, is to play um, the Eagle Huntress in the Polo deck, one Earth standing is all you need, and you can play that card. Okay, how much was that, the cost of a standing for, for Marco Polo? So oh. using the action mm-hmm. is going to cost you two Mythium. Uh-huh. And there's also different cards that okay. are going to give you standing. So for example, using the Humble Underpass as an example, the second stage gains you two Mythium nice. and one standing with any guild. So as you build your deck, if you do want to branch out and use more than one guild, you're probably going to include more of these cards that allow you to splash cards from other guilds more easily. Okay, that is cool. So you can uh, do whatever uh, you can get from other guilds. Well, I, I love that. Okay, so I guess um, they can also go to your YouTube channel that you have some gameplays there and uh, you can uh, send me the links I can put in on my description on this video yep. so they can uh, watch that. Okay, yeah. so so we're, we're good now. Everything is explained. And um, yeah, then um, please, for uh, before we end the video, please invite them to the Kickstarter and uh, other products that you have or channels that you have. Right. So first of all, thank you so much for inviting me and for taking the time to prepare. And I'm sure that editing this is going to take a while. So I greatly appreciate it. As I mentioned, the Kickstarter campaign is starting on March 1st. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best way to join is to go to our webpage and join the mailing list. That way you're going to get all the news and I will let you know when the Kickstarter goes live. If you want to try the game, don't buy it before you try it. The game mm-hmm. is free. It's online. It's on Tabletop Simulator. It's on Tabletopia. You can join the Discord channel to find opponents. We have regular demos and playtests that we run. So I want you to make an informed decision before you give me your money. Uh, Try all these things, do your homework, and then decide if you want to buy or not. Um, And that's going to be on our website, and you're going to find the links in the video description. All right. Thank you so much, Ellie, for your time as well. And thank you for considering Ben Trading Cards as uh, showing your game. Yeah, thank you so much. So I got to put all the links, guys, uh, down on the description and um, you can click on whatever you want. And uh, yeah, Ellie said, play the game first before you back, okay? Then um, don't forget to support uh, the World Breakers on Kickstarter and join the Discord community. Then, uh, yeah, thank you so much uh, for watching and uh, see you in the next video. And don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Subscribe, like, and comment. Yes. <laughs> Thank stuff. you. Thank you. Bye. Thank, Thank you, you. Ellie.